0: Welcome back to Teaching Matters, the University of Edinburgh's hub for discussing, promoting, and showcasing teaching and learning at the university. We are a blog, website, podcast, and maybe most importantly, a small group of people passionate about providing platforms for conversations surrounding teaching and learning. This is from our Learning and Teaching conference series. The Institute for Academic Development's own Kathy Bobel ran the conference and did an absolutely smashing job. I'll let her introduce the series.
1: My name's is Cathy Boble. I'm a senior lecturer in student engagement based in the Institute for Academic Development. I was the lead for the University of Edinburgh's 2021 Learning and Teaching Conference, and we attracted a vast range of fantastic presentations covering work from across the university at the conference this year. And I'm delighted to say that the Teaching Matters will be highlighting many of the presentations and some of the contributors who who were sharing their work more widely at the university over the coming weeks and months. We had presentations that covered a wide range of topics, including building community, innovation in science teaching, equality, diversity, inclusion, and social justice, experiential place-based and problem-based learning, assessment and feedback to the future, new lessons in digital teaching, insights from hybrid and online learning, student engagement and involvement, and interdisciplinary learning and teaching local and global challenges. So There's something there I hope for everybody in terms of the topics and the spread of great practice from across the university that colleagues are sharing. So I really encourage you to dip in to some of these contributions and I hope that you'll find something that's of interest and relevance to your practice.
0: Today's episode was inspired by Michael Daw's presentation on the unintended consequences of approaches to marking and assessment and supporting criteria-based marking. I left the presentation amazed. Not only did Michael present interesting, counterintuitive findings about marking schemes and assessment styles, but as a student I found it fascinating to hear about how a director of quality approaches marking assessments in the first place. For a novice like myself, this conversation introduced questions like what are the ideal outcomes for designing assessment? And how do marking schemes and assessment styles affect grade distribution? And for someone already familiar with the topic, Michael Dawes' findings are so interesting and counterintuitive, it might make you rethink how we prepare assessment for students. One thing I love about Michael Daw's perspective is his emphasis on a contextual approach to assessment and his commitment to evidence-based methodology. Our conversation is split into two episodes. This week, we'll focus on Michael's findings and his interpretation of what they mean for how we can approach marking an assessment. Next week, we'll feature our conversation about the question, why should we be aiming to use the full range of marks in the first place? This episode serves as a perfect introduction. So without further ado, let's get curious. Hi everyone, Eric Berger here, a final year mathematics student and intern at Teaching Matters. I'm speaking with Michael Daw, Director of Quality in the Deanery of Biomedical Sciences about his presentation on the unintended consequences of approaches to marking and assessment. Thank you for recording this with us, Michael.
2: Hello, my My pleasure.
0: I was wondering if you could start off by introducing us to your presentation topic and what drew you to this analysis.
2: So th- there are a few motivations for the analysis. One of them was a generalized dissatisfaction in our deanery about about the, the variability in the way that we prepare marking schemes. But also it, it was motivated by criticism from external examiners. And cr- external examiners have, have often used the phrase in our board of examiners meetings that we don't use the full range of marks and what they most often seem to mean by that is that we have this 30% band of A's so an A A grade is is 70% uh, and that's an A and that's a first class degree as well and then we have this whole 70 to 100 range and we almost never use anything above 80 which external examiners don't like and students don't like either I've I've been personally been asked by students on a number of occasions what's the point in having these 20% that you never use so the the director of teaching and I wondered if one of the reasons that this happens is because we the marking schemes aren't designed in such a way that we are likely to give those high marks so we actually before I was director of quality the previous director of quality had, had had it in on his list of to-do things to make generalized guidance for consistent use of marking schemes. And it's something I was interested in as well, as was the director of teaching in the deanery. But I was very keen that before we issued guidance on how marking schemes should be created, we should actually look and see, are our assumptions correct? So I think if if the two of us got together and designed a set of marking schemes, I'd like to think there'd be decent guidance for marking schemes. But that's based on essentially total ignorance. It's just what seems like a good idea to us. And I, I don't like that idea of just doing what you think is right without any evidence. So I wanted to look for evidence and say, OK, if we look through all these different types of marking schemes that are used, already used in our deanery, can we see if they do actually make a difference to the, the range of marks that we use? So that that was where I set off. Of it. I just wanted to say, look, can we correlate the range of marks and all the other different features of the marks? I was particularly interested in, in those higher A's, which I took as fairly arbitrarily <clears throat> marks of 80 or over. So I was interested to see, do we use those and do we give a, a wide range of marks? So I wanted to look, can we correlate different styles of marking schemes to those different features of the grade distribution?
0: that makes a lot of sense. So essentially what you're saying is we want to be using this full range of marks and using them consistently, but you can't give advice on how to use them consistently until you've gone through the evidence and said, well, here's what methods of marking use the full range of marks, correct?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's, uh, so I I came to Teaching research, only a few years ago, I'm a neuroscientist by training, a cellular neuroscientist, so not the sort of neuroscientist that has any relevance to understanding assessment, it's cells and molecules. Uh, When I first started reading, teaching um, research literature, I I found I was often very frustrated that people would would state, OK, we're going to do this because it's a good idea. And their evidence for it was a good idea was that someone else had previously said it was a good idea. And they often hadn't actually gone back and and checked whether it really did what they think it does. So I I think I want to avoid falling into that trap. And I'm very keen that if we're going to say this is the right way to do something, that we actually have evidence that says this is the right way of doing something. Or even if it's not the right way of doing something, that we have evidence that it will have the effect that we want it to have.
0: As a student and as a personal stakeholder in the changes being made to assessment, (laughs) that's very good to hear that you're taking the evidence approach instead of just saying, oh, this person said that this would be a way to develop more consistent marking. So we're just going to roll that out. Instead, you take the more evidence-based approach, which I find so fascinating because some of your findings are incredibly counterintuitive. And I was wondering if you could walk us through one of those right now, being what you found about marking schemes that detail subdivisions, like it takes this to get an A one. This to get an A two and this to yeah, get an A three sure. versus the marking schemes that just say it takes this to get an A.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the obvious example to use. Given I've just been talking about the fact that I was interested in the proportion of marks that are of eighty or above, so those those A one and A two grades. So actually, the, and that is something that was brought in with a purpose. So when I when I I first started teaching in the deanery about I think it's about eleven years ago now. And I don't think it was something that was just being brought in then. So we still have quite a lot of uh, sort of legacy marking schemes, let's call them, where there is just one descriptor for all A's. So there's one grade descriptor that says this is what you need to get an A, but that A grade covers 70 to 100. And we have other marking schemes where that there are three different descriptors. So there's a descriptor for 90 to 100, a descriptor for 80 to 89, and a descriptor for 70 to 79. And the idea for that is that you say, this is what you need to achieve to get a mark of 80 or over. So hopefully that means we will get more marks of 80 or over. When I looked through, I found the opposite. You've so posted this already by saying it's counterintuitive, but yeah, we fa- I found the opposite. that There's actually a smaller proportion of the marks that we give are over 80. If we tell markers what we expect to see for a mark of over 80, there are, many many reasons why that might be the case i mean it, it might be that we expect too much of, a, of the descriptors over 80 that they're they're just too ambitious oh yeah we expect too much of our students but essentially expecting something that's not possible and actually that's that's there's something i i hear from markers or academics in general sometimes is that I say we never give a mark above eighty, above ninety in particular, and they're like, "Well, that's fine. I, I, I want perfect work for that. I don't expect to see it." It Does question again why we bother having this range? Um, another reason could be, and, and this is something I'm sure we'll get back to you later, is that the pieces of work that we're assessing aren't the same. So it might not be the marking scheme; it might be the style of work we're 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 assessing. So. When we when people rewrite a marking scheme, if someone writes a new marking scheme that people like, then it tends to spread or be or be adapted to be used for similar pieces of work on other courses. So that there, there is a, a spread of marking schemes. They 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 get around. Particularly, I mean, you you make yourself a new assignment and you want to see has someone else already written a marking scheme for this? Can I get away with not not doing all the original work? Which I'm not criticizing incidentally. I think that's sensible. Why reinvent the wheel every time? So it could be that there, there are particular pieces, styles of assessed work that tend to be assessed with those um, subdivided A categories. But it is is—it's really quite striking that it's different. And I, I was surprised and, frankly, really irritated. I mean, I, I really wanted to be able to say, look, if you subdivide A's, then you make it more likely that the markers will give those high A's that, that we don't tend to give and, and incidentally, that is statistically justified that we d- we don't give many, <coughs> many uh, high A's. I have checked that. Uh, and yeah, we, we we don't give very many at all. And, and actually, our deanery in general gives a, a, a narrow range of marks relative to other deaneries in the university, including other deaneries that do s- the most similar type of work. So I, particularly compared to biology and chemistry, which I think are, the two parts of the university that do the most, teach the most similar content, and probably have the most similar assessments. We give a narrower range of, of marks than them as well, um, much narrower range of marks than maths, uh, <laughs> where you are. But maths is a totally different subject, so it's, I mean they have maths. Maths and informatics have the two widest ranges of marks in the university by a long way, but it's totally different works that they're assessing. So I think you have to be very careful what, what you what you compare to. But I also compared. Our range of degree classifications to similar subjects at other universities, and particularly other Russell Group universities in the UK, and we give a narrower, a, well particularly the year I looked at it, we gave a lot more two ones and a lot less anything else other than two ones than the most other u- Russell Group universities teaching similar subjects. So, yeah, there was a, there was a lot of reason for this. And um, so yeah, I to get back to what I was saying. I really wanted to be able to say, look, if you if you use these multiple descriptors, then it, it will help your markers. And no, nah, it doesn't.
0: <laughs> unfortunately, you can't point to this research and say, like, please use these descriptors because you found the exact opposite thing. Unfortunately, <laughs> especially when you face that that issue of noting that comparatively to the school of biology, and saying, oh, our marking schemes are quite similar, but our range of marks are much more narrow. It, so it's un- quite I- a-
2: I'll have to correct you on that. I, what I don't know is I d- I've never looked at marking schemes in other schools oh. in the university. I'm just saying the type of content that they're teaching, so the subject matter, and therefore I assume, though I've never taught on their courses, I assume that the types of thing they're doing are quite similar and the types of thing they're assessing, I would assume were are quite similar. I don't actually know that, but I think it's a reasonable sort of starting point assumption. It's certainly more likely to be similar than... Another deanery, another school in the university that I know gives a narrow range of marks, partly because I've spoken to the director of quality about It's the School of Divinity, but that's totally different to biomedical sciences, and they're assessing mainly essays. So there's a very narrow sort of range of assessments that they're doing. So that wouldn't that wouldn't be a reasonable comparison. So that's why I was looking for more reasonable comparisons. What one thing I'd like to point out uh, at this point because I think it's very easy to focus on these counterintuitive findings that well, that I focused on when I did this as a presentation. But actually, the biggest finding that that I came up with, as far as marking schemes are concerned, from, from my point of view, is that actually the type of marking scheme we used made very little difference most of the time. So there are these times where they made a difference, and they made a difference in a way that surprised me. But most of the time, whatever you do with a marking scheme, you get a similar range of marks. So what it told me was that actually, there's probably not much point us focusing on marking schemes and putting a lot of work into coming up with the perfect marking scheme, because it's probably not going to make much difference to the marks that, that our markers give. So I think that was a, an important conclusion for me.
0: That is a very important conclusion, given that this, this whole presentation is about marking schemes. And I, I guess I'm <laughs> curious that if if the finding was focusing on marking schemes being not the most constructive approach to using the full range of marks what would you what are your thoughts on what is so i mean
2: in in an idealized world i think there's a there's a lot of existing literature that actually looking at the way people would mark and one thing that's come up there is something that i think is probably very relevant to us and and that's marking culture so if you have a load of academics all working together and all marking each other's work and we often we also go through moderation processes and quite a lot of work is double marked. So you, you end up finding out what what sorts of marks your colleagues, particularly if they're more experienced colleagues, what what types of marks your colleagues give for bits of work. So it tends to be that whatever or my suspicion, and as I say, there is literature that suggests the same, though again, not with the best evidence in the world, that the types of the, the range of marks that's Always been given in your department is the type the range of marks that always will be given because if new markers come in, then they they eventually end up being like the the markers that have always been there. They they're pushed into giving similar marks. It's certainly something that I found when I started marking that actually the range of marks I got became narrower and narrower because I kept finding that I was in particular I was giving much lower marks than some of my colleagues. And I wanted to be consistent, so I I reassessed where where my sort of boundaries were a bit. So I suspect the culture of marking is is what determines the the distribution of marks more than what's actually written on the on the piece of paper. And again, there's a lot of evidence in existing literature that, that quite often people don't pay that much attention to marking schemes. Um, I also I had a I once had a senior colleague. To, um, tell me when we were discussing, we'd, we'd mark the same piece of work and we'd give her in very different marks. And And he told me he, he gave a mark for a, a particular reason. And I pointed out to him that that's not on the marking scheme, that that's not something that we're meant to be assessing. And he told me that he hadn't looked to the marking scheme because he'd been marking these things for years. So I think we need to be realistic about how much the marking schemes can achieve. So what I would like to do, and, and what I've done in one subset of the, the teaching area that I work in, is I'd like to, to get people together to discuss the way that they use marking schemes. So I actually have discussions about marking. And that that is something that happens in a lot of places. I think it's something that we find very difficult to persuade people to do, or find very difficult to bring ourselves to even ask people, because we assume that for most, not most, but in a lot of academics in our department, we probably assume that their main interest is research. And that Teaching, they're enthusiastic about teaching, and I, I definitely don't want to say that our academics don't care about the teaching and don't care about the students. They definitely do, but it's not the what drives them. So persuading people to come together to just discuss the way they're going to mark things, which still leaves them with all the marking to do afterwards. And it is, it is an unfortunate reality that marking and giving feedback is a lot of work that they don't want to then spend extra amount of time. And I confess in Edinburgh, I have never asked my colleagues to do that. So maybe the problem is mine that I've just not asked people to do it. Um, And maybe if I did ask, they would. And I did ask people. So most of my teaching is actually not based in Edinburgh. It's based in a a joint program that my deanery delivers in China with a Chinese university. And I did do that there. And actually most people didn't turn up. I think that's actually because there was a timetabling problem with it. But i wasn't I wasn't flushed with enthusiasm for it, having tried to do it once and not had most people turn up so but I think that getting people to really discuss the way they're marking and why they're giving marks and, and what it is we aim to achieve, I think that would be the best way to do it, but that's much more energy intensive than just asking someone to rewrite that marking scheme and then everything will be fine so I think that would be the solution, or potentially who knows because I've not tried it the other thing and what what I ended up spending, possibly even more time on, is looking at the types of assessment that we do. So the the types of assignment that we ask students to do, and what I found is that that does make a huge difference to the mark distribution. And as I already said, that the the type of marking scheme probably does correlate to a certain extent with the type of piece of work that people are doing. So uh, the the types of assessment that give a wide range of marks in our deanery are unsurprisingly things like multiple choice exams i'm definitely not telling everyone that they should always do multiple choice exams because that clearly is for a different purpose but what their types of assessment i've called a single best answer it's actually a a phrase that was used to me by someone else and i think those ones where there is an absolute wrong or right and i think that's often the case in in departments like math or schools like maths and i think that's probably why those schools have very wide range of marks so when there is an absolute right or wrong answer and those ones they often don't have a marking scheme as such because it's just if it's right you give this number of marks those ones they give a wide range of marks that's not surprising that's a wide range you get very high marks you also get a lot of very low marks doing that so it's, it's a wide range across the board but that's clearly not appropriate for all of the types of work that we want to assess I did notice one thing I particularly noticed was that getting people to do long form written work in exams ends up giving a very narrow range of marks and in particular the smallest proportion of those high A's of any type of assessment that we do which I think was a real surprise for me because when I've discussed those types of assessment and I've definitely I've used those types of assessment and when I've used them and when i've discussed other people using them, the assumption has always been that that's that's the big test that's what really separates out the experts from the kind of OKs. if you can apply your knowledge in that short period of time then that's really testing your ability to do it and for whatever reason and i don't know why it is that seems not to be the case it seems to be that everyone just kind of does all right so nobody really truly excels well, not nobody, but very few students really excel and very few students do really badly. That could be partly because we use different assessments in different years, but even looking within a year or so, a year of study. So in, in particularly in senior honours year and fourth year, we use a lot of those types of assessment. But compared to other assessments in the same year of study, they give a narrower range of marks, which is really surprising to me. And I think there are some types of assessment that give narrow range of marks. So another one is group work. Group work gives a narrow range of marks. That's not going to surprise anyone um, because, you know, the, the the work of the members of the group averages out and you, you kind of, everyone has some good members in the group and everyone has some less good members. So it's it's going to average out. It's not surprising. I think group work is a, a really important skill to make to teach students to learn or to give them experience in so I actually don't care that that doesn't give a very wide range of marks because I think that's intrinsic in the type of work that they're doing and I think that type of work is really important whereas writing uh, or applying your knowledge in an exam conditions in a space of two hours when is that ever going to be of any use to a student so you might call that an some people refer to this as authentic and non-authentic assessment. That's definitely not authentic assessment. That's not assessing a skill that anyone really wants to have. So I, I, I would, I'm actually really not enthusiastic about using that type of assessment anymore. This all coincided with the, the pandemic, which was obviously going to come into everything. And those types of assessment disappeared completely. Well, mostly they disappeared. And certainly the vast majority of assessments became open book which I think is more authentic, because when we do things, we have access to all the knowledge in the world. These days, we can just search for things on the internet. But also, in most cases, the assessments were also given a longer time period. So typically 24 hours, um, actually 24 hours this year and 48 hours last year, I think it was. And I was really interested. I was actually quite excited about that. Oh, suddenly, the, the type of assessment I don't like is disappearing, and it's being replaced with something else. And it turns out that's That gives the same distribution of marks, or even more exaggerated. They're even narrower range of marks. So, um, and also the particularly those twenty-four hour time periods. Student feedback, on average, some students love it, but on average, the student feedback is not positive. They find it very stressful because, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, exams are really stressful, but they're gone in two hours, right? So, when you finished an exam, you finished an exam. Whereas those twenty-four hour time periods a lot of students it's always very difficult to know with student feedback because you don't know whether it's just the ones who are unhappy that are commenting but we see a lot of comments that even if they're told just spend two hours on this they're like why am I going to spend two hours when I could spend 24 hours and they feel pressure to do more and more work and and then that means the total amount of time they're doing exam-like assessments increases a lot so student feedback on those has not been positive so what what I'm encouraging people in our deanery whenever anyone will listen to me is that if you're trying to do that sort of assessment where you're trying to get people to really apply knowledge use use the type of in-course assessment that we do in other places and just put it towards the end of a course somewhere obviously there's no no perfect solution if everyone does that then that suddenly means all the students assessment is at the end of the course and they have 10 essays to write in one week so there's no perfect solution but I think I'm really encouraging other members of the academic staff in our deanery to really think, what is it you're trying to achieve with your piece of work? So sometimes when you get students to do something, and I've just mentioned group work, teaching group work is really important for us. Um, teaching students how to write an academic paper, that's probably important. We we expect a proportion, not necessarily a huge proportion, but a decent proportion of our students to go on and be research scientists who need to write papers And therefore, we also ask them quite often to write things that resemble funding proposals. That's quite an important thing for us as well. So they're things that they're really meaningful things we want the students to be able to do when we get them to do presentations. So if we want if we're teaching specific skills and there's a clear form of assessment that is best for that. then yeah, go ahead. I mean, do your best to make the be real credit for students doing well, but worry about what the assessment is. If what you're trying to do is to have that really big discriminator to really let the, the best students shine, then have a look at my data or, or ask me. And I can tell you which of those types of assessments actually do that. So it is something that's, that staff quite often want to do. They want and you, the, the phrase you often hear is it's a good discriminator. And you, you hear external examiners say that and you hear course organizers say that. If that's the reason that you're including something, check. I've got the numbers, you know, I, I can check and tell you if it truly is a good discriminator. And if what you want to do is discriminate and the thing you're proposing is not a good discriminator and that's what the stats tell me, then don't use it. Use something else instead and have a think about what else you want to do. So I think it's dangerous to fall into a trap of thinking that there is a perfect way of doing assessment. There's not. And and we're, we're never going to make everything absolutely perfect we're never gonna it's never gonna be completely fair sorry if that surprises people we can't make everyone get exactly the mark they deserve markers are humans we're not all the same you can do your best to make it fair and you can do your best to make it uh, help the students to learn the important skills and you can do your best to to actually use the evidence that we now have about what does really discriminate between students but it's never going to be perfect i'm afraid (laughs)
0: Tune in next week for the rest of our conversation about marking and assessment. Featuring the question, why might it be problematic to only use a narrow range of marks? And we also discuss marking culture and student motivations. Stay tuned, I'll see you there. Teaching Matters is brought to you by the University of Edinburgh's Institute for Academic Development. Episodes release every Wednesday. Please follow or subscribe on whatever platform you use to listen and leave a five-star review if you enjoyed today's episode. We'd also be delighted for you to join the conversation. Please feel free to comment on our blog or email us at teachingmatters Music for today's show is provided by TuneSounds. Until next time, stay curious.